0: So this is Flash's like main contribution is the headphone jack and the selector between those two pieces. He is sort of like. Flash would be my definition of success in in that he didn't create something new. He's like widely accredited for inventing the DJ mixer or inventing scratching. None of that's true. But what he did is he innovated to make something a little bit better so that he could be a better artist. And by doing so, like leapfrogged over all of his competition and immediately became the number one DJ that anyone wanted to see. Without question, there wasn't even like a second or a third
1: place. This is The Artist Report, where we have conversations with top-level artists, designers, freelancers, photographers, and entrepreneurs in order to hear their stories of how they got to where they are, struggles they've had along the way, and what they do to stay inspired. And hopefully you can take something away that inspires you or challenges you to be better in your craft and business. I'm Brayden Flynn, your host, and this episode is going to be a little different than your typical interview format. It's a lecture given by a buddy of mine, Michael Antonia, at a conference I've been a part of the past couple of years called Field Trip. If you're a photographer, I'd Google, yeah, Field Trip, and you should really consider going. It's an incredible experience with just an amazing talent pool of people that you can learn from, be a part of. It's really amazing. Uh, Michael's a DJ and a businessman who I respect a ton. Saying he's the best in his field, it's obviously perspective, and it's one man's opinion, I don't think it's just one man's opinion, but he is the best in his field. Uh, his talk is titled, A Career You Don't Need a Vacation From, and it's one of my favorite talks I've heard geared towards being a creative, making art, and making a living doing it. Over on the artistreport.com, you can check out clips from this interview in video format, or go to the artistreport.com slash YouTube to find all of our videos and subscribe to our channel because there's way more there that gets posted here in podcast format. And if you're a photographer, we're starting to launch some really good resources over on the photo report got some stuff in the works. So if you want to just be informed with that, you can sign up for the newsletter, go to thephotoreport.com slash subscribe, and it'll take you right there. So without further ado, here is the flash dance himself, Michael Antonia. Hi. Hi.
0: <laughs> um, you have found your way to my class. It's called A Career You Don't Need a Vacation From. And uh, thanks a lot for coming. What the class is about and what the, the takeaway that I want you to have is is that I do think it is possible to have, I mean, this maybe sounds a little cliche or something. Um, it's kind of along those lines of like, if you pick something that you love to do, then it's never work and you would have done it, whether you were getting paid or what, or not. But like, for me, I think it goes a little bit beyond that um, because ultimately at some point uh, in this process, you're gonna start to hate something about it. Um, so I love to DJ, I could do that forever. But like I don't really like the process of trying to find work or maybe sometimes I like the marketing process, but not always. And there's a bunch of bullshit that's involved with like the fear and the anxiety that is, you know, goes with like trying to make payroll all the time or trying to pay taxes or trying to take care of the the nitty-gritty like office shit that nobody really wants to deal with. So my idea is is like Hopefully, here are some tips and tools and things that you can take away that um, will help you sort of keep the part that you love about your job, whether that's photography or, in my case, music or um, writing books or whatever it is that you do for for you know for your passion and for your creativity and compartmentalize that in a way that you can continue to love that yet still focus and pay attention to the things that you don't love so much and maybe hopefully through this set of like principles you'll find a way to uh not hate the you know the boring traditional office stuff quite so much um so by way of introduction i'm not Gonna try not to talk too much about myself because I think this is really about a bigger thing. But um, for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Michael. I have uh, a few companies. Uh, one's called the Flash Dance. That was the first one that I started as a music and photography company. Hence the name Flash Dance. And um, and I later started a company called Yar yeah Rentals, which is a mid-century modern furniture company. Uh, I then started a company called Yeah Weddings, which is like a package company with uh, several of our younger associates and second shooters and uh, people who have been our assistants in the past uh, to go out and do actual like package wedding gigs. So you get photography, videography, music, and a smile booth together. Um, And then I have another company where I build and sell furniture. Uh, So I've done a lot, a lot, a lot of really fucking weird gigs in my life. So I started working when i was probably like nine eight nine years old i lived in the east coast at the time so i was the kid who would like mow every lawn would shovel every driveway in the winter i had like three paper routes i worked I started working when I was 11 at like the local convenience store, which I'm pretty sure is child labor laws. Um, I did like I would go to like the junkyard, like the dump and go to like the metal pile. Like I made friends with all the dudes who worked at the dump so I could go like salvage shit out of their metal pile and like bring the parts home and build bicycles out of it. And then I would like sell those to my friends and then they would inevitably like break down and they wouldn't know what to do with them. So I'd buy them back for like half the price and then fix them and sell them to the next friend and sometimes to the same friend. Um, I would fix lawnmowers. I would like go to people's houses and like fix their fence and like rebuild their garage door. Like I was just like constantly in motion. Um, I grew up in Cape Cod, which is a place that is really super beautiful and you think of as being this sort of like snooty high affluent place, but in reality, the people who actually live there are pretty like low middle income or even lower uh, income bracket, which my family was. My dad always worked in construction trade and my mom um, was, was pretty much a stay at home mom. So I learned really early that like my like uh, path to freedom or to independence was through working and making money for myself so I could buy the things that I wanted. Because otherwise we were just kind of getting the what you needed to get by. Um, when I got a little bit older, I started working in like restaurants. I was a barista, a dishwasher, a busboy. uh, I worked behind a bar, like all at the same time. <laughs> um, I, I did like a lot, a lot, a lot of hustling as a kid. And like, you know, so when I went into, into high school and into college, I already had like a pretty, like pretty strong work ethic. And, uh, right out of college, I met this guy uh named alex calderwood who uh owned a at the time a nightclub and asked me to come work for him and do production which is where i met whitney who put this whole mess on so we produced concerts parties dance nights of like all sorts which really like i had been djing a little bit kind of fussing with it but like that put me into a whole new stratosphere of like world-class artists from like ice cube and lauren hill and public enemy to like crazy British German based DJs like Ronnie Size and Dillinger and, uh, and Goldie. And then like all the way to the other side of the spectrum, we were doing like, um, like weird in British pop indie rock shows. And so like a, I was really like exposed to a lot of stuff. Anyway, the, it was a little bit of an ambitious project and eventually it, it didn't work out for them. And they kind of switched gears and turned into a little marketing agency and a record label. That agency I went on to work for for like 10 years. Uh, So we did advertising, especially like experiential advertising, which was kind of a new idea then. And we would sort of specialize in changing like raw spaces into like a super hospitable kind of nightclub or like hospitality type vibe spot for like corporate events for really big companies like Nike and Microsoft and Apple. Never stop is the place where that was the name of that company that I didn't where it was the place where I kind of learned that like every single detail counts. And I'm telling you all this, not just to give you a little bit of my background, but to say that like, these are some of the places where I learned some of the rules and lessons that are still sticking with me today that like we would do an event and they wouldn't be satisfied with like cool decor and like really good talent and um and like a really dope spot that no one had ever done a party in before but there had to be like some weird like light installation there had to be like world-class artists like at that time they were putting on people like shepherd fairy and cause and like some of these guys who have gone on to be like massive massive artists um, they're just doing like installations just for this event. There was like tricks of like, it <laughs> would get like sod and make like fields that people could run, like take their shoes off and run in. Like they would have like these areas that were set up with like spotlights on and where like, people were doing yoga, like all in white clothes behind glass. It was like so blown. And every single detail was like the most important thing to them. The, little sod garden where you could take your shoes off was just as important as the fact that Erica Badu was about to go on stage. Like Those two things were the same. They had the same weight. And I've really taken that to to heart uh, throughout my career. And I think that that's one of the things that's really like a big game changer is knowing that every single thing matters. Every detail counts. It was also the place because of that, and probably in spite of it as well, that I learned to be really difficult. Um, it's, It's one of those things that is uncomfortable for a lot of people to just be persistent and be a pain in the ass and keep calling and keep being pushy and keep being aggressive and keep asking the same questions over and over and over and over and over again. But that's the people who get these kind of things done. And, uh, one last thing I'll say about that place, uh, and this was a hard lesson for me, was that um, it, it was the place where you had to, if you didn't know the answer to something or you didn't know how to, how to do something, you had to speak up. Because if you didn't, it was just going to be assumed that you did. And then when you blew it, you were in trouble because you didn't speak up. And so there were a lot of like shaky hand raises with like a room full of people who were super, super... Um, well versed in culture and art, and um, and and lighting and music and and like all these things that were pretty new to me. I'm like 21 years old at this mm-hmm. point, and uh, and ask what I thought was kind of a dumb question, but it was where I learned that there are no such thing as dumb questions. And to get that answer, um, even though you were nervous and embarrassed, that that means that you're learning something. So one other little tidbit that I took from them is is the encouragement to. Um, to ask hard questions, even when you think you might kind of come off as an idiot. So about, so just uh, the, what that company turned into just um, in, in a really short time is Alex went on to open Rudy's, all the Ruby's Rudy's barbershops, all the ACE hotels. Um, and I kind of stuck with him and everybody else went in a different direction. I still work for the ACE and, um, and that's been like a really big, part of my life is that sort of mantra of like we are going to force feed the world art in every single corner of this establishment and online and uh you know in our in our communications with them you know via their email list or their like like the the every every single detail that they put out into the world i feel like is so highly curated and i think to some people that spawns like Jokes like uh, Portlandia episodes or whatever, but um, but to me it really is a study in how much you can care about something. Um, So about eight years ago or so, I decided to kind of abandon the advertising world. There were so many things about it that I liked, and then there were so many things that were so difficult for me. And one of them was being dependent upon not only this company to book a good job and then to choose me to execute it, but also um, the clients, like you know, n- n- one of the things about advertising is that everybody wants the new next thing, and I think that that's the case in a lot of disciplines, but advertisers want to go with the new young hot agency all the time. So after a while you start to get the same client over and over again. And as a creative person, if you're dependent upon somebody else to be in charge of the way you are creative, um, it's a pretty taxing thing on your heart and soul. So I decided to kind of strike out on my own. I stayed friends with all the people who I worked with, but, um, but decided that advertising wasn't for me, but I, And the reason why I give you all this backstory is that I took all of that information and I pushed it into this. I'd been DJing for a while and especially once I met those guys, DJing a lot more and on bigger stages and with bigger artists and then eventually in in different parts of the world and whatnot. Um, And I got good at DJing, but I didn't really know how to market myself or push myself as an artist. And um, what I wanted to do was, or what I thought would happen was that I would wow somebody at some point and some agent would come along or some manager would come along and swoop me up and book me and hold me in their cradle and swaddle me and put me to bed every night and everything was going to be cool and that was going to be my like easy road to success but what I found um, was that it, unless I was willing to do it myself it wasn't ever going to get done. Uh, um, this is the very first DJ mix that was ever made it's by uh, Grandmaster Flash. It's called Grandmaster Flash and the Wheels of Steel. Grandmaster Flash is, uh, is responsible for a lot of innovation um, in the DJ world and especially in the hip hop world. And it all boils down to a pretty simple concept. Um, if you guys can see, if you can't, you can stand up. Just, So I can kind of quickly explain how this mess works, because I think most people probably don't know. Um, There's a volume fader right here on this side for this turntable. There's a volume fader for this side on this turntable. This fader right here, this guy, lets you select between the two of them. Alright, so in Grandmaster Flash's day, and we're talking about the late 70s, um, the way that you would have a party is that you would not have a pair of headphones this headphone jack here where you plug the headphones into did not exist it just wasn't something that they thought that anyone needed they thought this is fine they were cobbling it together with with equipment that wasn't really meant for this task and so things would sound a little bit like this and people would be dancing and having a great time and then that record would you know run out inevitably and then they would just start another record and Luckily, that just by pure chance happened to come in on beat, but a lot of times it sounded more like this. And you could feel how that kind of is like disjointed and just didn't connect the two together. Um, Really quick, let me stop this here for a second. um, a lot of uh, a lot of what happened in those parks and this is we're talking about like 78, 79, 80 uh, in the Bronx in New York is that these guys were you know there weren't there wasn't any such thing as hip hop there wasn't anything as, such thing as dance music of any sort there was disco but that was like for white people downtown and it was like kind of like you know do cocaine and go out and be fabulous and lights and, and celebrities and and that but like the people who were going to these parties were living in the Bronx in the late 70s. I mean, this was a world, a world away, a whole different experience for the people who lived there. And so they didn't really yet have music that spoke directly to them. So what they would do is these DJs would literally go through their parents' record collection, which sounds like the dumbest idea ever, that you're going to go through your parents' record collection and bring them down to the park and try to make all your friends who are, you know, 20 years younger than your parents dance together. And so records sounded something. like this if you're lucky I mean this is a pretty cool record So the goal of the DJ and the goal of somebody like Grandmaster Flash was to find these little snippets within the record called the break, the breakdown, the break beat, there's a few different ways of describing it, where all the singing would stop almost completely, almost all the instrumentation would stop, and what would be left would be like the drums and maybe horn stabs, little teeny bits of the record, and we're talking about usually about eight to ten second passages of the records where they would break down and sound like this. This is the same record, by the way. It would just break down, and the drummer would just play a really simple beat, which you can hear sounds a little bit like kind of what you expect from hip-hop now. Just really raw, really simple parts of the record. And then after, you know, a bit of this, it would end up going back to the part of the record, and you probably can recognize this now. we go back to the part of the record that was more like your parents. So they were just trying
1: to...
0: They were just trying to find those simple parts of the records to just like, so that they had MCs at that point that weren't really telling like stories with their rapping, but they were hyping the crowd and saying, put your hands up. And they were getting people interested and they were getting people dancing. And then it would inevitably go back to that kind of like the parent part of the, of the song. And then people would kind of be deflated. And, but there wasn't any way to like, figure out what was playing over here, because when this record's playing, this fader is turned down, right, so that it's not coming out both at the same time, right, so you can't, like, cue one of them up at this, so Flash was uh, a bit of a amateur electronic geek and wizard, and he went down to, um, he went down to, like, the local Radio Shack. Um, which believe it or not did exist in those days and um, and he got out his drill and he, obviously the mixer wasn't this one that's what I have here and it's brand new but um, he drilled a hole right down the center of his mixer took the whole fucking thing apart and soldered in a headphone jack so this headphone jack here um, soldered that in and then he also put a switch on the top of it to switch between the two turntables so he could inevitably if you can hear this is actually coming out of my headphones right now because I have this turntable selected so this could be playing over here and this is why every time you see a DJ they're going because they're trying to listen to this song over here while that one is playing right these aren't even in the same tempo, but just so you get the idea, I could start it right at the beginning and it would come on a little bit more on time. I could cue that up. And then if you were smart, like Flash was, you would get doubles of every single record. And then you could cue this up on this
2: side.
0: And you could extend that break beat part of the song. I'm using these little cue points, so they're sort of like new technology, kind of cheating part of of DJing, but you could just as easily um, line them up. And so they would be able to extend this part of the beat. The MC could then talk to the crowd for longer periods of time, turning those like toasts is what they call them, or put your hands in the air or wave your hands or make some noise or all the other stupid things that MCs would say to the crowd at that time and turn those into like little stories, turn them into like easily identifiable, easily connected, um, moments about being a black teenager living in the Bronx instead of being about a soul singer from Harlem or about, um, you know, David Bowie or Blondie from downtown. So this was Flash's, like, main contribution is the headphone jack and the selector between those two um, pieces. He is sort of, like... Flash would be my definition of success in in that he didn't create something new. He's like widely accredited for inventing the DJ mixer or inventing scratching. None of that's true. But what he did is he innovated to make something a little bit better so that he could be a better artist. And by doing so, like leapfrogged over all of his competition and immediately became the number one DJ that anyone wanted to see. Without question, there wasn't even like a second or a third place. Um, so one of the things I want to talk about and this is a big one for me is standing on the shoulders of genius and I think that everybody to some degree whether you like to admit it or not does it Um, and what I mean by it in in the you know sort of in the scope of hip hop is to like appropriate borrow and steal so they were appropriating, borrowing and stealing from their parents record collection in every sort of possible way Um, and then later on down the line they were starting to um, load these into what's called samplers, I don't need to get into all all of that, but they were recording little snippets of the records and making, you know, kind of what is like that song. So they went from to this and then would make, a, a, you know, inevitably would make like a hip hop track out of it. So sampling. Little teeny bits of records um, stand on the shoulders of genius of, in this case, Marva Whitney and James Brown to make like a song that was about their time. And it was about their moment that was reappropriated to include all of the people who were in the audience, as opposed to just simply playing a song that they were hoping somebody would dance to. This is a quote from Henry Ford. I invented nothing new. I simply assembled the discoveries of other men behind whom were centuries of work. Progress happens when all the factors that make for it are ready, and then it is inevitable. This is fucking Henry Ford, who invented the car. (laughs) In 1919, he was saying, he (laughs) assembled the discoveries of other men behind whom were centuries of work. So thinking that he was standing on the shoulders of genius of people from the 1700s is what he is getting at Um, so it's pretty safe to say that there really isn't anything new to to create but you can change it enough that it's going to become your own creation Um, there's this guy who maybe some of you guys have seen his uh his talk his name is simon sinek he has a really famous ted talk Um, Maybe one of the most famous and he says it way better than I ever could so I'm gonna let him say it
2: All the great and inspiring leaders and organizations in the world whether it's Apple or Martin Luther King or the Wright brothers They all think act and communicate the exact same way and it's the complete opposite to everyone else All I did was codify it and it's probably the world's simplest idea. I call it the golden circle Why, how, what? This little idea explains why some organizations and some leaders are able to inspire where others aren't. Let me define the terms really quickly. Every single person, every single organization on the planet knows what they do 100%. Some know how they do it, whether you call it your differentiating value proposition or your proprietary process or your USP. But very, very few people or organizations know why they do what they do. And by why, I don't mean to make a profit. That's a result. It's always a result. By why, I mean what's your purpose? What's your cause? What's your belief? Why does your organization exist? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? And why should anyone care? Well, as a result, the way we think, the way we act, the way we communicate is from the outside in. It's obvious. We go from the clearest thing to the fuzziest thing. But the inspired leaders and the inspired organizations regardless of their size, regardless of their industry, all think, act, and communicate from the inside out. Let me give you an example. I use Apple because they're easy to understand and everybody gets it. If Apple were like everyone else, a marketing message from them might sound like this. We make great computers. They're beautifully designed, simple to use, and user friendly. Want to buy one? Meh. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo. We believe in thinking differently. The way we challenge the status quo is by making our products beautifully designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. We just happen to make great computers. Wanna buy one? totally different right you're ready to buy a computer from me all i did was reverse the order of the information what it proves to us is that people don't buy what you do people buy why you do it people don't buy what you do they buy why you do it
0: i'll I'll reinforce that with this slide right here (laughs) um i think this to be so true i um myself like what i do in my career is a, a you know primarily music and what I do that sort of differentiates myself from a lot of other people is I've spent a lot of time practicing. Sure. I, um, I have good taste in music. That's great. But one of the things that really sets me apart and what I put as my forward foot in everything that I do when I'm talking to clients, when I'm talking to people like you guys, uh, when I'm talking to friends or relatives or whatever, is that like my main thing is being able to find great music and read an audience. And, like, those are the two things that I think a lot of people can't do. I somehow have been lucky enough to, like, be able to search the deep depths of the internet and find weird, amazing music that most people have never heard before. And um, it's really stupid that they've made it so fucking difficult to find good music without um, stumbling across Taylor Swift every step of the way. Oh, wait a minute. No, no, no. I have to update Adele every step of the way. Um, but they have so that's what I put that's what I put forward is what I'm great at. I you know, I play like a lot of corporate events, I play a lot of weddings and people tell me a lot of things that they want me to play or that I have to play for their event. And that's fine. They're paying me well. I'm going to go and play their song that I don't personally like, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it with a smile on my face, but I'm also going to put myself into it. I'm going to put my own personality, my own favorite music, and 99.9 times out of 100, the response that I get is somebody or several people coming up to me at the end of the night going, I can't fucking believe you played that one Etta James song or that one LCD Sound System song or the the song that was completely unexpected or that one, you know, whatever, Arcade Fire song that was like a B-side or something. That's the person who I'm looking to communicate with. That's the person who I want to be spreading my name via word of mouth. I want them to go to their friends who love music as much as they do and say, dude, I'm like, you're never going to believe this guy. He played this song and this song and this song. And then that person, next time they need a DJ or next time their friend or family needs a DJ is going to push back to me. Not because I went and I also played Taylor Swift or fucking Footloose or whatever was on their list, but because I played a song that they really like, didn't ask for, but it really communicated to them. So when I first started the Flashdance, the very, very first thing that I put up on the website was a sort of a mission statement of sorts. Um, I'm very like hyper aware of how many jobs there are out there and how. Um, seemingly small the amount of competition is so i really wanted to focus in and i guess even if that wasn't the case i'd still really want to focus in on people who cared about what i want what my personal belief system is or what the reason why i do things the way that i do them um so i just put it out there as blunt as i possibly could We live by a code, and here it is: I'm not going to tell corny jokes on the mic. I'm not going to play trance at your wedding. I'm not going to play desperate, crappy disco to try to please everyone. I'm not going to play desperate, crappy anything. I'm not going to be an ego-driven artist and only play what I want to hear. I'm not going to be a shitty wedding DJ. I'm not going to play thug hip hop at your dinner. Unless, of course, (laughs) I'm not going to play iPods or CDs and then all the things that I am going to do. I'm going to play vinyl. Remember that format? I'm going to play the perfect music for the mood of the people in attendance. I'm going to be able to read the crowd and build the energy accordingly. I'm going to seamlessly blend from dinner to dance party. I'm going to make you dance your ass off. I'm going to make you laugh. I'm going to make you cry. I'm going to make your friends jealous. And I'm going to create lifelong memories. Hopefully you can do the same for us. This by a factor of 100 has been my most popular blog post. The thing that people point back to time and time again and go, we read that and we were sold. Because you can feel it, right? You can smell the difference between... I'm desperate to get your work. Please fucking hire me because I need the money. Um, And somebody who really cares about what they're doing. So I I would encourage everyone to try to write something like this, even if it's not something that you put in a public place, just to sort of point back to and remind yourself of why the hell you're doing the thing that you're doing. Um, Because, Sometimes it's easy to forget that, especially in light of like stiff competition and like I was saying earlier, like the office or the emails or the marketing or all the bullshit that goes along with the advertising or, or promoting your business, um, young, younger people coming up uh, who are talented, who are charging half of what you're charging or whatever. Sometimes you get caught up in it and you're like, fuck, I got to, you know, step it up or I got to be more like this or more like that. Or look at this person's getting all this attention on the blogs because they do X, Y and Z. I guess I should probably start thinking about that. If you can point back to this and remind yourself of why you're doing it, I think it's pretty important. So like I was saying earlier, I, my, one of my like skills or one of the things that I really believe in about myself is that I have this ability to find great music and I think that is what sets me apart from my competition. So another thing that I could really highly recommend is, is to sort of compartmentalize if you can, and I think I said this in the very beginning, your art and what you're commodifying so if you're a photographer and you're selling yourself as a commercial photographer as a wedding photographer as an event photographer or whatever i hope that you're still out there shooting pictures of things that you really care about shooting pictures of in the same way that as a dj or as my other friends who are djs that you know to to be able to do something like field trip which is like my favorite party of the year because it's just like i can do whatever the fuck i want and people just keep dancing and having fun um (laughs) It's important to continue to work in your field as an artist, not just to keep up with the fucking Joneses, because eventually you're going to fall flat or or short of that goal of keeping up with the Joneses, unless you're continuing to create more art, because it's the art that's pushing all of you guys forward. It's not the fact that you're have a you have a great instagram following or some shit like that or that you got up on some blog that's temporary that'll help you for this next six months or maybe less depending on the saturation what's going to keep pushing you forward is when you come up with a new idea and then you can bring that to your to your job so to speak and that's going to continue to help you to have this career that you feel like you don't need a vacation from because you're out there so happy to be doing what you're doing so stoked to be playing the music that you're playing or being able to slide in you know what you really love so as an artist I make playlists and I I put them up on my blog every month I give them to my friends I share them with my family I listen to them myself and sometimes they're played in my friends businesses and it, it, it like for me it's like that's my soul that's what that's the reason why I do this shit is to get that music out into the world Um, and I play, like I said, a few events a year. I do field trip and I do camp and I do a few of my own personal events. And, and that really feeds my soul as a DJ to be able to just do whatever the hell I want and really stretch out. But I, Play private events and weddings and corporate functions and, you know, weird dinner parties and strange like in-store events for like huge retail stores and shit like that. So that I can pay the bills and so that I can continue to afford to be able to do the fun things that I want to do. Um, You know, there's something like, I think, 15,000 events and weddings a day in just the U.S. There was 65,000 weddings in just Los Angeles County last year one year, 65,000 weddings, 2.1 million in the U S one fucking year. So, uh, on the flash dance side, I have myself and I have, uh, six other DJs who work with and for me. And so, you know, we're looking at a couple hundred events a year, which is still kind of a lot. Don't get me wrong, but not when you look at the fact that we all travel worldwide and there's like probably five six million events weddings things to potentially get booked on per year so trying to keep in perspective that you want to get the right client not just any client who will take you because um, unless you're renting porta potties <laughs> your goal is uh is not to get anybody who will hire you but your goal is to get somebody who really cares about what you do Children, to me, are like the quintessential vehicle for creativity. I have two little girls, three and seven, and they're constantly making shit. They're drawing, they're making sculptures, they're making clay animals, they're making shit in their own minds, just in their imagination. They're reading, they're playing imaginary games with each other, which I'm fully convinced they know are completely real. There are unicorns flying through the air and shit. And they are, like, they. that wasn't something that we taught them. You know, we're, as parents, pretty creative and um, pretty free people, but certainly they just out of the womb with it. They're not shy or afraid of it in any way. They are happy to tell anybody and show anybody all of their work at all times. They're very, very proud of their creativity. Um, there's this great quote from Picasso. All children are artists and the problem is how to remain an artist once they grow up. So I have a, a brief exercise uh, for you guys. If everyone Does everyone have a piece of paper and a pen? okay so the exercise is to uh turn to your neighbor and draw them in two minutes all right now show it to your neighbor okay so so you know we we heard some like some laughter (laughs) <laughs> some shame some uh, some apologizing um, just to run backwards for a second if my daughter had done that she'd be running around the room showing everybody right now and this is the difference this is really big is that as a creative and I know that I'm getting you outside of your comfort zone and I know that you don't know, probably know the person sitting next to you and you're not meant to be like sketch artists but um, you, that you have to be fearless and that you have to be willing to take chances. There's this quote from Patti Smith, if everyone loves everything that you do, then you aren't working hard enough, <laughs> which is so awesome. And I, I think like, you know, if if those kind of things or if that kind of on the spot. Um, activity stresses you out, then you you need to maybe take a step back and compartmentalize a little bit the work that you're doing and the art that you're doing. Because if you need to get your art to a place where you're very comfortable showing people before you can do it as a job, that's respectable. But if you're trying to do your art as a job when you're not even really ready to show it to other people, you're going to fall prey to a whole bunch of shitty circumstance. Sister Corita Kent is one of my favorites. If you ever get a chance to read her rules, it's unbelievable. It's really short. Nothing is a mistake. There is no win and no fail. There is only make. a brilliant quote. Um, This really nails the point for me. If you look at, like, any respected artist, or any artist, really, and you look at their really, really early work, and I'm not talking about, like, you know, Elliot Smith's first record. I'm talking about like way before that. Um, there was embarrassing shit. There was immature, unfinished, unrealized um, creative ideas in there. And somebody had to see those along the way and give them some feedback and maybe make them feel a little bit bad or maybe make them feel nervous in order for them to progress as artists. And I think that that's really important is to just keep on making shit. Uh, great art, it stretches taste, it doesn't follow it so um here we go this is charlie parker master the instrument master the music and then forget all that shit and play um for any of you who don't know charlie parker is probably the most influential not probably the most influential uh jazz soloist of all time he's a guy who um is widely credited with inventing bebop, which is a whole style of jazz that was the predominant um, mass-marketed music in the whole world for, like, 30 years. So, like, from the very late 40s all the way through, you know, the very mid, mid to late 70s, um, this form here, which is in itself lack of form um, was what was popular. He invented this and the way he did that was that he learned how to play in big band. He learned how to play melodic and harmonic music. He learned how to um, interact with the other people on stage and take a solo and then take a break and give the solo to the next guy. And it was all very friendly and cool. And then he decided that he didn't want to do any of that shit anymore and he just threw it all out the window and took all the form out, took time signatures out, took melody out, took key out, and was left with a cacophony of sound that he somehow, in his crazy fucking mind, um, molded into this beautiful art form. Uh, And making something that's this abstract was was a legend in his own time. He wasn't like discovered 40 years later and thought of as the forefather of some amazing movement. He was like... God, I can't even believe that I just thought of that. I was gonna say he is like Kanye in his time. Yeah. Fucking he had nothing to do with Kanye in his time. He was like John Lennon, you know, he was like a living legend. People adored him. Um there uh, where is it? Oh, uh, so the idea here is that if you learn all the rules of your trade, of your profession, then you are afforded the op- option or the opportunity to break them and to start changing them. But you have to learn them first. You have to learn how to mix two records together, maybe how to scratch, how to introduce different genres of music and make a room move before you can start to figure out how to um, do really advanced techniques or how to play several genres of music at the same time or layer them on top of each other. The sense of creativity is fucking around. Art is that which is done for the hell of it. So, um, trying to avoid playing it safe. Um, It might work for a minute. And this is something that I see pretty regularly in my industry, and I see it in you guys' industry as well, is somebody sees somebody at the top of the mountain um, really succeeding. Uh, Back to what I was saying earlier, they're like getting all over the blogs, or they're huge on Instagram, or they do the You know, the one photo where there's a ton of negative space and just a little teeny person at the bottom or they do the, you know, the very like urban industrial portrait photo really well with like a yellow line through it. And you see it and you're like, oh, God, that looks great. And then everyone lines up behind them and starts mimicking them. Um, And that might work for a while to get the fall off of that popular person's work, but eventually that person's going to change because they're the one who's creating new art. They're the one who is pushing their art forward, and you're going to be left doing what they were doing a couple years ago. It's really, really important to fuck around and to make art. To get back to playing, we need to shock ourselves out of our normal way of thinking. For me, like, the... The thing that gets me down the most in my work is sitting at a desk. It drives me fucking bonkers. I don't mind doing the work. I don't mind talking on the phone. I don't mind the emails, but like sitting at a desk, it just kills me. So like most of the time, In my office, you'll see me like um, pacing around the room or like doing some weird contortionist stretch on a table or some shit because I just can't literally can't sit still. So I'm constantly trying to find a way to like bounce out of that uncomfortable zone. And I think it can be pogoing, it could be taking a walk when you have to take a phone call, it could be like walking to the coffee shop as opposed to driving there, especially if you live in LA. Sometimes like just getting your mind free of that space, that space that really bugs you is the difference between an idea coming or not coming. Um, I don't know if you guys are down with the white stripes at all, I am. Um, there is a song called Little Room. I'm gonna play it here for you. It's really short.
2: Well
1: you're in your little room and you're working on something good. Money it's really good. You are gonna
0: So um, Jack White uh, became a rock star pretty quick, but he really came up playing in like shithole dive bars in Detroit with like no sound system. Just him and his girlfriend playing drums, a crappy set of drums that she could barely play. And one of the things that he always played in those days was this plastic airline guitar, which is like just one notch above a toy. Um, the whole body of it is made out of plastic. The faders, are sorry, the um, the tuners just suck. They constantly go out of tune, and because the body's plastic, it flexes, which makes it also go out of tune. And he would be asked, like, even when he was, like, a multi-million um, platinum-selling artist, multi-million dollar uh, musician, playing, like, stadiums on massive stages, you know, with just him and Meg, um, they would ask, like, well, why you, like, you could have any guitar in the world. You could get custom-made guitars by, like, the best makers on the planet. Why are you playing this toy guitar? And he's like, I like the potential the risk of it going out of tune or if it breaking a string, or if it's just sounding like shit because it keeps me sharp it keeps me focused and I think like um one of the, the things that made their music Great was that it wasn't perfect. It was fucked up. They did make mistakes. It did sometimes sound like shit, and it was sometimes out of tune. And he would always, if anyone, anyone of you guys have ever seen them perform, he would stand like Meg would be playing drums here, and he would stand like right in front of her, like kind of like nodding his head so she could keep time with him. And he would be like hitting cymbals with the edge of his guitar. And he would be like muting cymbals with his hand. He'd be playing and like he'd grab a cymbal when he wanted it to be quiet. And he would kind of, you'd see him like nodding to her to keep time and uh and he also played keyboard but he would put the keyboard like 30 you know feet away across the stage and this like massive stage right and he'd be playing guitar and you know playing with her and Rocky now and then the keyboard part would come out and he would like literally run for it and like dive and like like hit the hit the note like just in the nick of time or sometimes late and I heard him in an interview once like people <laughs> the interviewer was like why why not just put the keyboard like right next to you And he's like same deal man like if I miss it I miss it like that's gonna be part of the journey like if I'm not focused and I'm not paying attention if I'm not sharp about what's going on I'm gonna miss something." And this to me reminds me of like, um, Have you ever been to a restaurant that started out really great, and then like a couple years down the road, like everything got kind of like blasé, and like all of a sudden they started making really shitty espresso, or like the pastries just didn't taste as good as they used to? It's like all these shortcuts. It's this like like long list of shortcuts that like maybe you at the very top of your company aren't taking, but other people who are below you or who are working for you start to figure out, oh well, if I fry this the night before, it'll be ready when I get in in the morning, and that'll save me fifty. 15 minutes or oh, if I start to use this kind of espresso, which is ten dollars cheaper per pound, I'll save this much money. All these cutting of corners begins to add up to a weak final product. Oh, uh, so one further, the one last thing about Jack, and I think that this is like. This mentality is important if you want to maintain your unique edge, if you want to be special, if you want to continue to do work that you're proud of and that other people recognize you for, it's important to be sharp and be focused and be risking things and be taking chances because just because you make more money and you can afford to have a bigger staff or a better person to do this job or a nicer piece of gear... Doesn't necessarily mean that's going to make you an easy, a better artist. It might make your life a little bit easier. But all those rich rock stars end up being like drug addled, like weirdo maniacs because they've just been afforded every single possible um, freedom and every single possible nook and cranny or frill or gimmick or thing that would make their life so easy. And then they become bored and complacent. Um, so I want to try to give you a couple of things that you can take away. These are a couple of principles that have been key to our success within my company. Um, first and foremost is coffee, <laughs> I drink a lot of it. Um, but it's not just that I love coffee, which I do. And I drink an absurd amount of it. Um, I am friends with every person who makes a good cup of coffee in Los Angeles. Um, I mean, it, it's, that's why I know Steph. That's why I know, Tyler, Uh, if you make good coffee in a big city, you're surrounded by good people. You're in a busy place where people are treating it as their office. There's just like filled with creatives who are like writing a novel or writing a screenplay or learning to do something creative online or have a client meeting or who are just treating it as a little stop off as their office. And those people are a captive audience. Any place that you can cap, you know, have a captive audience, those people are going to just sit around talking to people all day long. The other one is like my hairstylist. You know, like I don't go to like Fantastic Sam's to get my hair cut. Not that I don't, not that I really care one way or the other. But like I go to a place where I know a lot of people like me go to. And then I talk the ear off of my fucking hairstylist the whole time I'm there about all the shit that I'm working on. Because I know from experience that he goes and tells all the people that are sitting in his chair all day long when he's like awkwardly talking and nervous and doesn't know what to talk about like I met this guy um I think it's important to be a part of your community I do that with coffee (laughs) um Quantity over quality at first. So an exercise that I use a lot and that I really highly, highly recommend is having just a gaggle of post-it notes laying around. I write down ideas on post-it notes and I just put them on a wall. And the idea here for this one anyway is quantity over quality is just as many as you can possibly do. So if you're up against uh, something that you can't figure out or you're unable to um, get around a certain roadblock or whatever, writing down as many ideas as you can in 10 minutes and just putting them all over the wall. It forces you to look at them. It forces other people to look at them and go, what the hell are you doing? And then you can, you know. Uh, you know, eventually start to edit them down. I worked, when I worked in advertising, I worked with, I worked on this campaign for this uh, clothing store, Uniqlo. And it was a launch for their brand in uh, New York. And we'd made a, well, we commissioned a shipping container store. And our our job was to move it around the city, permit different locations for it to pop up. And this is kind of a little early for, for pop-ups. Um, and the formula wasn't really completely figured out. And so what we did is we would bring it around and it would function as a clothing store, like inside of a little parking lot or next to a gap or um, right next to a busy coffee shop or whatever. And throughout the campaign, you know, there were certain things that came up that went really, really well and certain things that weren't so exciting or that were problems. And we worked with this, this company called What If afterwards, and they their task was to discern the good from the bad in this campaign. So they sat us down as the producers and went through it step by step. What, tell me everything that went wrong. Tell me everything that went right. Tell me everything. Tell me what happened on this day. What about when you were at this location? And they just pierced with questions, just fi- rapid fire over and over. And they had a team of people behind them just writing shit down on post-it notes, on different colored post-it notes. And so like, if something was related to production... Um, they would maybe put it on a red post-it note. If something was related to back to the company and something that they did or didn't do right, they'd put it on a, you know, a green one. If something was related to us as an agency that we did or didn't do right, they'd put it on a yellow one. They stuck these up all over the wall, just writing on them with Sharpies. Rapid fire. There was hundreds of them by the end of this meeting. And then they all got up. And they started looking at him and they would just pull him off the wall and just throw him on the ground. And it was so cathartic and awesome. They were like, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. And what they were left with was maybe 10 or 20 that did matter. And they boiled it down to its essence. Um, they, you know, they sort of just like got it all out, barfed it all out all over the floor and then decided what was worth keeping and what was worth tossing. And then they edited ruthlessly until they had the very essence of it and then they could write an informed uh, opinion about whether or not we were successful as an agency, the initiative was successful for the company, um, and whether or not it was worth doing again, if it was possible to scale it up and do it in other cities. Um, editing, to me, is, is like literally separating the good from the bad. It is one of the strongest tools that anyone has in a creative field, in any field, really. All right, I'm going to try to rapid-fire a couple of these because I don't want to go over in time, which I always seem to do. Uh, this one is called Ask for the Things You Need, Will Them Into Being. Uh, we have a friend. Her name is Jennifer Emmeline. She is a photographer. She works for me, for Shark Pig, occasionally works for Whitney. She's worked for basically everybody I know at some point or another. She answered an Instagram post to uh, go shoot second shoot a wedding uh, with Whitney for Our Labor of Love and turned up and killed it she was like running around moving gear she brought her own gear she was early she went up and introduced herself to every single person who was working asked them if they needed anything she was like running power cords taping shit down just like balling out of control like working her face off this one wedding and then the second that wedding was over she came to the office the very next day and was like reintroduced herself to everybody re-asked everybody if they needed any help with anything was like please hire me for the next one for the shit pay for this thankless job and um and continued to just be the, the, the force of like, could I help you with social media? Could I help you with blog posts? Do you need any help with this? Oh, do you need some help with shooting this? You need some portraits. She just like was relentless. She could edit video well. She had like a lot of skills in her tool belt already, but more than anything, she just asked for what she wanted. She just pushed until she got it. She was the uncomfortable person who just kept calling over and over again until we finally all ended up putting her to work. Now she's booked solidly for the next year and a half because she's just so relentless and you know she all she ever really wanted was to sort of like have her own brand her own company she now runs yeah weddings for me and has her own brand her own company and is like just out of control busy and is so gracious and such a sweetheart about it Um, this is a really 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 big one you guys do the least exciting thing on your list first to free up your creative mind so I don't know where I picked this up, but it has been so, so good for me to like turn up at the office first thing in the morning and know like the thing that I really don't want to do is put up that blog post or finish that playlist for the ace or um, whatever, you name it, 10 other things that I really, really don't want to do. So what I try to do is I try to get into the office about an hour earlier than everybody and bang those things out, get them done as fast as I possibly can so I can have my free mind space to focus on the things that I care about, on making art. I learned this in my production days, that the things that you're afraid of doing are only going to get worse until you actually do them. (laughs) (laughs) And collaboration. It can't be overstated how important it's been for for my life as a creative. Um, And that cliche that I think everyone knows is true is the rising tide raises all ships. The ability to have a friend help you out with something i'm not a person who has business partners so i lean on my friends and they do something for me i return the favor everybody sort of wins in that role and we get to all kind of work and come up together this is another one from sister Karita kent the only rule is work. If you work, it'll lead to something. It's the people who do all of the work all of the time who eventually catch on to things. And I think this is really a, like a fitting one for Jen and Merlin as well. Uh, a little story for this one is I, I play guitar, not particularly well. I can do it. Uh, I have played music for a good part of my life and when I first met my wife, this is about 14, 15 years ago now, um, I would talk about how I was going to make music and how I was going to record and how it was going to be great when I did that. And I would talk about that a lot, but never really executed any of that. And one day, I think she was just kind of like a little ticked off at me about probably something else and was like, yeah, well, if you really wanted to do that, don't you think you'd be doing it by now? And I was like, ouch, but yeah, you're right. And Unfortunately, that kind of forced me to put the guitar down, but it also forced me to refocus my energy because I was putting all this energy into this idea of something that I really wasn't going to actually do. Not every idea is going to succeed. Um, So if you can free up your creative mind to do more work toward your actual goal. Uh, there's a great Gertrude Stein quote, a very important thing is not to make up your mind that you are any one thing. If you, can get, if you get too bogged down on I'm a guitar player and that's the only thing I'm going to be or I'm a DJ or I'm a photographer, then that's the only thing you're going to be. But guess what? You have a career that's supposed to span something like 40 years. So if you don't plan on doing this one thing for the rest of your entire life till you're 65 or whatever, then it's time to start working on some other stuff as well this is an important one. This is a big one for me. Uh, top threes. I've talked about this with a lot of my friends individually, and it, I think if you can talk to a friend about this individually, it's pretty good exercise. This is about um, putting your the top three priorities in your life in order. For me, um, and it you know, it doesn't really give me much pleasure to say this, but for me, it's work, family, and music. And that doesn't mean that I don't care about my family, my, my daughters, and my wife more than I care about work. It means that I'm at work more than I'm with anything else, more than I sleep. I easily work a 40-hour week during the week. I work every weekend, sometimes two and three days of the weekend. I can easily put down a 70, 80-hour work week without even blinking. And so the next thing that I spend all the rest of my time on Unless I, in some rare instance, have a little bit of free time as my family. And so I've, I've sort of created uh, a rule for myself that at five o'clock I'm done working. I stop. It doesn't matter where I'm at with anything unless there's something that's going to burn the business to the ground. I walk away from it. I go home. I shut off my phone. I put it on top of the refrigerator. And I spend that time trying at least i don't get it right every single night but trying to focus on my family and trying to spend some time with them because i feel like i would really literally be like the worst person on the planet if i spent 80 hours a week at work and i couldn't spend two hours a day with my family so trying to find the balance between those top threes and being honest with how they work out in your life um and if you don't like the answer that you come up with, honestly, then you can make adjustments to change that balance. But if you are going to live with the current balance, you have to find a way to make that work for everybody in your life, or you're going to lose something. You're going to lose your business, you're going to lose your family, or you're going to lose the thing that you're passionate about. <laughs> this slide makes me so happy because uh, my graphic designer, It does. she doesn't listen to hip hop. At all, and uh, she got it wrong in so many ways. I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man. (laughs) She underlined man, which is not the point. She's supposed to underline business, and it's not. It's not Kanye. It's Jay Z, but it's in a Kanye song. (laughs) I could have fixed it, but I thought it was so cute, and the fact that it was pink. I was just like Mallory. I fucking love you. You're the best. There's no way I'm changing this. (laughs) I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man. And the idea here is that, like, yeah, Jay-Z is not a businessman. He didn't start as a businessman, but he himself is a business. Hip-hop artists now are getting more money, making more money off of, like, incidental licensing deals than they are off of music. Justin Bieber... (laughs) you know how many records that dude sells multi 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 platinum wins Grammys like every year. fucking rabid fans all over the world. He makes more money off of his fucking cologne than he does off of music. Um, so finding ways for yourselves to try to market different parts of your business to a wider audience, whether it's, um, through workshops or through developing a product or developing some sort of, um, different line of revenue for for your company is a a really really important thing because at some point the money that you're making off of shooting weddings or editorial or corporate events or for me playing records isn't going to be enough so finding something else um, part of that's part of your job as a creative and I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up here pretty quick so I want you guys to think and this is along the lines of writing down some of the obstacles to your creativity but what is your version of success what does it look like like is it getting booked for 20 events a year is that it is that success because if that's it that's great that's probably pretty achievable in a pretty short amount of time is it having a gaggle of associates who also get booked for that many weddings per year or events or whatever. Um, Is it coming up with the next uh, cologne for Bieber Um, or, you know, building a camera strap or starting a workshop or doing speaking engagements or whatever, coming up with what your version of success is and then like thinking hard about what you're going to have to trade off to get that. So like, if you're, I'll just read this because I don't really have it completely memorized, is what you're telling yourself you want worth the sacrifice long-term. So you have to think, and going back to this, that your career is probably like something like 40 years, old, you know, 40 years over the course of your life. I'm 40 now. I've been working, you know, my whole life. Um, but I still have another 25, 30 years that I have to do this shit. I can't do this for 25 or 30 years. So like trying to pre-plan that out now. And then developing new ways to keep it fresh and keep it exciting like jack white's little room ideas like kind of going backwards and remembering why it is that you're doing this shit like do you actually still like doing it or you're just doing it to make money because if you're just doing it to make money you could just rent fucking porta potties and make more money doing that and then like you know if it's about money or having a creative lifestyle then cool start to focus on getting those things into your life but um continue to remember that like you're probably going to give up weekends you're probably going to have to travel a lot which maybe to some people sounds pretty awesome except for when you have to like get a table for one in the fucking hilton restaurant and like cry into a beer last weekend um I, i i don't like what are you willing to give up like you you don't you don't have as much time with your family if you have children um You know, going to like the most idyllic, insane place that, yeah, you can put on Instagram and everybody can go, oh, my God, FOMO. But you didn't actually get to do anything except for fucking work and cry into your beer and then go to sleep and then wake up and go through TSA and want to fucking murder like 10 people at the airport. Um, But I mean, it's the important thing here is to also keep that in perspective, because there are so many people who would kill for my worst day who are right behind me, who are 10, 15 years younger than me and are hungry and who just had a baby and need to fucking support it and would think that I was the biggest fool in the world for complaining about any of this shit, which let's be honest and straight. I'm not complaining about it. I am being honest about it and saying that these things that you get You're also trading them in for some other really precious things. Um, One of the things that defined my success is my father. My father is a fine artist photorealist artist he could paint just about anything and uh, this is like a you know sort of a really bad representation of it but if you saw this painting in, in real life you would say it was a, a photograph and he made work like this my whole life you know dozens a year he could do sculpture he can do bonsai he restores old cars he could build like models from scratch he can do like brass See, he's like a savant fucking nutbag Um, But he was never able to make a dime off of being an artist. He never really knew how to market himself. He never understood the game and worked in the construction trade, worked for the railroad, busted his ass his entire life as a laborer, basically, and was always broke and still is. Um, But he did instill in me this idea that, like, there's another way to make a living you don't have to just work in a cubicle or be a plumber or uh, drive a truck or whatever like you could if you get it right do the, do creative good work art and somehow make a dollar off of it so I want to leave a legacy and I want to leave a legacy for my children in the same vein not that I'm like the greatest wedding DJ ever or that I have the most successful fucking boutique rental house or whatever or any of that shit but that there is another way to live that that you can actually and this does sound sort of cliche when parents say this to their kids like you can do anything but I really do believe that that's true and I really do want them to see that like papa has a business and he's the boss and that he has a warehouse full of shit and he has people who work for him and yeah, there's the other side of that that I'm not around as much, and that you know that I I don't get to spend as much time with them as that I want as I want to. But I do want to leave them with that information, that like I'm giving them the same information as my dad, but with like a whole generation's worth of collective knowledge um, at my disposal. Um, so Grandmaster Flash famously said. First is forever. Um, he made no money off of uh, the DJ mixer or, or off of innovating the DJ mixer. He um, he made no money off of like uh, redefining the crossfader or putting a headphone cue in. Um but he was, a, he was improving upon this piece of equipment to make his art form better. And from that, he made a ton of money. He still tours the world as one of the leading DJs, is pointed back toward uh, by everyone on the planet as the godfather of hip-hop, of you know the best DJ of all time. Um, he was first. And uh, his legacy was that...
1: This.
0: So here's his mixer. You can see his headphones are plugged right into it right here. This is the actual mixer he drilled a hole in. This is from Wild Style. This is like 1983. Here's Fab Five Freddy. This shit seems pretty rudimentary by today's standards, but to understand that this competition was just playing a song and standing up here and waiting for it to get over and then playing the next one while he's doing this shit, people were flipping their fucking lids about this. Um, And his competition... This competition was doing shit like this. This is an example of what's called the needle drop. This is Q-Tip, who's going to give a demonstration of it. And he's pretty fucking good at it. Where you would literally, like, the record would be spinning, and you would try to pick the needle up and move it back just one groove and keep it on tempo. (laughs) This guy, Grand Wizard Theodore, invented this technique. And this is many years later, him showing it off to his friends high as fuck. But you can tell the difference between that and what Flash was doing and the artistry and the form of that that really made it so special, what he was up to. Um, he was looking at a problem as a solution and and working backwards. So when everybody was doing A or when everyone was looking left, he was looking right or he was doing X. Um, and I think this is a really important rule to take away is that if everybody's looking at, let's take the same example again, like the wide um, photo with a lot of negative space and a little teeny person in it, then maybe it's time to do an up close and personal like portrait that's like, right in their face or whatever the you know the appropriate example is maybe it's time to look at that problem everybody doing the same work as a solution because it's so easy to just do something different <laughs> instead of following along and doing the same exact thing um, so flash i mean he was acting on a passion he was not an inventor he didn't want to be an inventor he didn't like set out and get a patent on the headphone jack. He simply said, this is going to afford me the ability to be more creative and to be more innovative and to remove these obstacles to my creativity and move forward as an artist. Um, The rule is, is that you have to either be first to market better than your competition or cheaper. Um, So first to market, certainly in this case is, is the best. Creativity is the process of having original ideas that have value. Success is the process of executing original ideas for money. That execution requires a lot of hours. Creative marketing, like Simon Sinek was talking about. A personal belief system, like the mission statement that I showed you in the beginning. Uh, Making yourself vulnerable to critique and ridicule by being fearless or having um, partners who, uh, who you feel comfortable and safe with. Mastery of your craft, like Charlie Parker. Um, taking big risks or opening yourself up for failure like Jack White Um, lots and lots and lots of coffee Um, taking on work that you don't know how to execute or that you might not be the best at at the moment but maybe doing it for free in a way that you can then gain fans asking for the things that you need and willing your desires and needs into existence Uh, collaboration not playing it safe and discipline um, you can be creative without being successful, but you can't be successful without being creative unless you want to rent porta potties. Because <laughs> you don't need to be too creative to do that. <laughs> This is my last slide. Thank you guys so much for coming. A dream is something that you fantasize about that you will that will probably never happen. A goal is something that you plan and work toward until you achieve it. The difference here is like I could be loftily dreaming about playing guitar and being in a band or whatever, um, but a goal is something that I set out to do and I'm excited about every single tick along the way. Every task that I have to do gets me closer to my goal, so I'm stoked about doing it. Um, and I'm not going to stop until I achieve it because I'm so excited about actually meeting the goal as opposed to just dreaming about some fake thing that's not going to happen.
1: I hope you love that talk by Michael Antonia. I feel like his perspective is just right on for how to actually approach your art and craft for longevity and enjoy the process and have proper expectations. So I hope you got something out of that. I know I did for sure. Um, remember, you can check out any of these interviews in video format and there's a ton more content over there. I've been doing it for a few years at the artistreport.com or you can go artistreport.com slash YouTube and that'll take you straight to our channel. And if you're a photographer, remember to check out The Photo Report. You can go to thephotoreport.com slash subscribe and you'll sign up to our newsletter there. But got a lot of videos pertaining to photography and we're building out a resource section that's going to have some really good stuff. So work hard, work smart, and make sure you enjoy the journey along the way.